Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is quack. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Instead of killing himself, he started doing stand-up. And like all good comedians, it made him want to kill himself. So he started a podcast, which is slowly killing him. Continuing his cycle of good decisions, he is here today, not killing himself. It's David Baker! Yeah! <laughs> What's up, Todd? How's it going, man? How you been? Um, amazing. I'm so excited <laughs> to be on the show. I am very excited to have you on the show. You, uh, in, uh, we've both been running podcasts for a little while now. You're you're about 20 or so episodes ahead of me. You started before I did, right? We're on episode 46 as of this morning. Oh, okay. So I don't know if I took a couple of weeks off. I think you're in the 50s, so you might mm-hmm. be a little ahead of me. But, okay. But yeah. Roughly, we're we're definitely our shows have definitely been born out of the pandemic. <laughs> like absolutely, I'm just gonna pull the trigger on this thing. Uh, yeah, maybe that might be bad choice of words considering the name of your show. <laughs> yes, yes, I did this instead of killing myself. Is the yes. name? Yeah, yeah, it's um. So just briefly for folks who don't know you, how how did we? I I think first things first. What was your first? Because we know each other through comedy. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. We know each other uh-huh. through stand-up. Um, what was your first time on stage like? Do you remember it? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was it was horrible. <laughs> like, like yeah. most like No, I'm not saying guys. yours was horrible. I'm just saying most people's first no. time was actually pretty bad. I mean, I just know like most, I mean, I have an edgy, horrible sense of humor. Not really. I mean, I I I yeah. So what I thought of was stand up. I just was looking for a reaction. So the first stuff I wrote was very insensitive, very edgy. I think I made a misogynistic joke about women pilots and not being able to drive planes because yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see reactions. Yeah. See, that was how the audience was. They hated me instantly. Not what you want to do. If, if you ever try stand up, you want to be likable first and like endearing. Some people do great their first time. Cause they're like, you know, I'm new. I'm ner- I didn't do that. Um, I got a few laughs on, on some on some stuff when I talked about approaching a girl I was nervous about, and but uh, I don't yeah. know. It was like three minutes, a blur. I got off stage, and uh, but I, I still loved it so much. I was addicted, and uh, I think I went back to the radio room the next week, which is our second mic open during the pandemic. That was where I met you, and yeah. uh, I haven't missed a week since. I don't think, aside from vacations here and there, but uh, but yeah. So I'm I am absolutely addicted to stand up. So what was your, do you remember, cause it's rare, it's rare that I um, get to ask someone something this specific. Do you remember your first impression of seeing me on stage? Yes. What yes, was I it? absolutely do. Cause I don't know that I've ever asked you this. <laughs> you fishing for compliments, Todd? 
listen. <laughs> I'm you know, comedians, it. we need our ego stripped. Oh, no, 100%. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not just saying this. This is going to be complimentary. I'm not just saying it because you asked me. I uh, I remember I was very we were very impressed because uh, you're you had like a theatrical way about you. And the two bits I remember, you had a Backstreet Boys bit and I won't uh-huh. spoil it, but there's singing involved. There is. Um, yeah. It was very polished. Uh, and then I remember your Sports Center bit, which which also had a musical element and very committed act outs, which um, for people who don't know stand up, like when you're doing a joke like that at radio room in front of six people to, to commit to the bit and do it the same way every freaking time. Like I have a lot of respect for that because uh, you know, it's, 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 it can be suicide sometimes like, but you, you got to commit to a bit that you've worked out in polish. So, uh, so yeah, uh, sports backstreet boys, you had a very edgy race joke that I won't repeat that worked. (laughs) somehow that you're not a fan of certain colors and uh oh my God. <laughs> i remember oh yeah and you're like if i stop the joke here oh that oh that one basically i thought you were just kidding I, I, yeah i completely no you know it's it's oh, a yeah. todd's a little edgy it's a little it's definitely it's structured it's structured for me it's structured for me to take advantage of the audience because yeah. i i play with what I know, what I know is going on in their head, but I play with it in terms of the verbiage that I use. And I sort of break my own fourth wall and take yes. a, like, if I can take a step off of the stage, I usually do. Yeah. That kind of, because there is a bit of a separation there between like stage and audience. Right. So if I can that, sort of peek through there and be like, all right, here, here's, no, that's, here's that's great. And, and what you did there, I, I actually am learning more about just doing stand up more is like, if you say something, you kind of want to put yourself in the audience's shoes yeah, and, and then respond to it. Because if you do that, then it's like, okay, the, the comic's self-aware about what they're saying. It's not like they're just going in to do. And the more you can do that, then the more tags kind of flow off of it. Yeah. And then you can get extra laughs when they realize you know, you're being playful about the topic. You're not, you're not going in on something they're uncomfortable about. So it's that playful and appropriate balance that I try to find and that, that, that you were doing with that bit that uh, I really like Thanks. not to get all stand up heavy with this. Uh, no, intro, and that's okay. But... What I have found, what I have found is that most comedians are super nerdy about something. It's not always sci-fi comic books television movies i mean mm-hmm. everybody everybody has their thing we both know adam schulte oh who yeah can, who can speak at great lengths about hardcore music like that's his thing um mm-hmm. here now i'm 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 a big star trek guy uh yeah you know you are a big fan i know this about you because i've been in your apartment <laughs> <laughs> you're a big seinfeld guy how yes. Did, were, so at what age did you see either his stand up or the sitcom? Because I assume third grade. Third grade, really? Wow. Yeah. Do you remember those uh, full size vans that some families would have where they'd have like the old school TV actually in the, the front console? I do. And they had the VHS thing. Okay. So yeah. this is where I saw Seinfeld for the first time. It was right after the finale aired, which I think was 97. So I would have been like, how old? Eight nine years old yeah and my uh, my buddy had a recording of the finale that his parents had recorded and they were watching it and i was like what is this and uh and then it was never on dvd so it was all in syndication on those local channels so uh he would record 
the episodes off yeah. of like TBS or whatever. And then we, and then I started to do it too. And I started to like have like a whole catalog of the Seinfeld episodes and I would memorize them because they were so funny to me. I mean, the yeah. sexual jokes I didn't get at the time, but, yes. um, but yeah, like it was just comfort food for me as a kid. So I was obsessed with Seinfeld more so the show than his standup. I didn't discover his standup until a few years later, but, um, but yeah, that was one. Well, and I so, think it's such a, I think it's such a, I, I'll go ahead and say it's a gateway drug just because in the show, he is playing a version of himself and every episode, well, at least seemingly every episode is bookended with him doing standup. I mean, it's yep. obviously, it's not a real club and they're clearly on a studio set and the whole mm-hmm. thing, they just put up a brick background behind him. So it looks like a comedy club, but mm-hmm. that's his material. That's, yeah, that's him performing. And it's really kind of cool. Cause I think it's one of those shows that um, it kind of opened the curtain a little bit into the mind of comedians. Yeah. Kind of like, here's a peek at a version of the life of a comedian. Now I think yeah. when you look at that sort of thing today and we will get to Star Trek. I do pro- I promise. We'll I, I'm to loving Star this Trek. topic. So as long <laughs> so, as your listeners don't mind. I'm, yeah. 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 They, here's the thing. This show is structured to be like, imagine if two nerds met in a bar, what would they talk about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it most likely centers around Star Trek, but there's other things too. Sure. Um, so I think in terms of, what Seinfeld brought to the general public, I think a lot of folks now are getting from shows like the, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And um, crashing uh, Pete Holmes. I love that show. I love that show. Yeah. It was, it was really, really good. And I have, I have issues. Maybe we should, maybe we should get into the deep, uh, the deep end of the comedy stuff. Like, after uh after we wrap maybe that'll be a bonus for the patreon supporters <laughs> yeah you have a patreon uh it's it is it is dangerously close to being started <laughs> hell yeah dude i'm thinking My, about that at some point in the future we'll we'll talk about that too because i have some thoughts Content. on it that from things i've seen and from things i'm experiencing setting it up that mm-hmm. i let me pass on this knowledge to you so so that you kind of know before you jump in yeah um, but yeah, anyways absolutely. so yeah comedians tend to be very nerdy about things in addition to in addition to comedy you find like a lot of like really good comedians are also comedy nerds yeah they can tell you you know so and so set from the roxy in 1978 and that yeah you know um I, you know, when, in, when it comes to things that you're not a nerd about, how do you approach them? Like, do you, do you just kind of take it at face value or do you, do you like to start at the beginning? Kind of like what we've done here with Star Trek, or is it just, kind yeah. of, hey, you know what, just drop me in the middle. I like to be really curious and open-minded about anything. So uh, that's why I think, I think good comics are curious about everything because you have to be looking for material anywhere and everywhere and the, the quirkiness, that's kind of how Jerry is. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I, I like to have an open mind about stuff I don't know about. Um, Star Trek is one that I, you know, not very familiar with, but obviously there's like very loyal fans and there's, there's like a whole ton of subject matter to discuss and dive into. So yeah. like, there's gotta be something there. So I'm like, you know that's one like anime is one that people are obsessed with and i want to learn more about yeah um yeah you pokemon cards my buddy's obsessed with pokemon cards he's 33 years old (laughs) and he buys this stuff off of and and he's telling me how much the packs go for i'm like what is going on like there's a whole subculture 
that uh, is really fascinating about all that stuff. So uh, I like to approach it from like, I'm if an you, idiot. If you what can I learn? If you, only you have knew, yeah, how much money I've spent on old Star Trek cards? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I but I love new stuff like that. I hate the things that I can't stand are like the mundane, monotonous, like conference calls. I hate conference calls. I hate corporate uh, speak. I hate fronting for like I, I I love them. I appreciate my job, but there's certain things about it that I'm just like, this isn't interesting. None of us really care about it. Why are we faking it to make money? Like even yeah. when I talk to my customers trying to sell them stuff, I'm like, I don't I don't care if you buy this. Really, do you want to talk about like comedy? Or you want to talk about what you're interested? In? Like, tell me something. <laughs> Like, I don't even care. Oh, buy, yeah. But. Well, I think I think once, uh, you know, when I when I interviewed for for my internship, this was uh, three, four years, four or five years ago. Oh, gosh, it's gone by quick. Um, Which internship? Paralegal uh, stuff? Yeah. For the paralegal thing. When I interviewed for my for my first for my first and only internship um, with a firm here in town, I took them my resume and it had, you know the standard stuff, my education, my experience, which at that point was just law enforcement. Um, mm-hmm. But I had on the, at the back, you know, it has that, I had a section of um, accomplishments and I, in that section, I was like, I have a second degree black belt. I used to work uh, for a local still, a local distillery. Um, and I wrote a comic book and I went, I did my own stand up comedy mini mini tour (laughs) right i booked and performed my own stand-up comedy tour like when when employers got to that section they were like let's talk about all of these let's spend all these things talking about that see not that nothing against corporate america it's necessary i get it but also like there's certain things that make people light up and that are more you know that's here's what i have told here's what i have told anybody especially like younger i hate to use that phrase young people but here's what I've told younger people as they are finishing school and going into the working world, because they think about all these things like the resume, the interview and all these things. I said, look, get yourself a great resume. Just Absolutely. put the soup and the nuts on there, but put it all on there and give it to them. Try to keep it to one page because mm-hmm. nobody, nobody's going to read more than one page. Really. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. But keep this in mind about the interview. They've got your resume. Everything they want, everything they need to know is on that piece of paper. The interview is just to see if they can stand to be around you for eight hours a day. Yeah. It yeah. really is just kind of like, hey, are you a cool person? Like, <laughs> am I, yep. I going to want to sit six feet from you every day for 52 weeks out of the year? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that and that's an important thing, you know, and then, you know, finding out one of your coworkers is a big Star Trek fan might might squish that i don't know but let yeah me, let me ask you this jumping into the star trek stuff mm-hmm. you weren't you weren't completely unfamiliar this isn't the first time you've watched star trek right or is it no oh okay so no okay. no so i've seen some cool. star trek and it's i'm familiar with it it's you know in our culture everybody kind of is aware of it so yeah do you have do you remember either the first thing you saw or like who introduced you to it or do you have a favorite thing but like before before any of this like yeah what so a couple got, things man? william shatner uh i remember him as the classic captain kirk wasn't he on the 911 show too back in the day i think is that so. right he he did a cop show uh famously did a cop show after star trek called tj hooker and he was okay he was sort of like 
the beat cops beat cop and yeah that was that was him i think that was okay uh well that was in the 70s but yeah (laughs) okay uh I'm double checking this 911 rescue. That might've been what I was thinking of, but anyway, maybe. maybe yeah. So I'm, I was familiar with the old school ones. And then the vague memory I had growing up was um, I think it was star Trek Voyager with the, uh, uh, the bald guy uh, who was like the, the main commander on the ship. Which one was that? Was that okay. Star Trek Enterprise or Voyager? If, if, if it's a bald guy, then it was probably either Patrick Stewart or, I think it was Patrick Stewart. Bald white guy or bald black guy? Definitely Patrick Stewart. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So you're because I mean you're you're obviously you're next generation. Yeah. Star Trek the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was honestly, that's a you know, because because the franchise is so expansive at this point. I mean, you know, it's coming up on it's coming up on 60 years in existence. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um Everybody always kind of want, well, where should I start? Well, hey, look, enterprise might not be your thing. You might want to start with, uh, most commonly, people get referred to that show, Star Trek The Next Generation with Patrick. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a really great place to start because you've got, they're still kind of in that transitional phase, like away from the original series, but like becoming something else. You know, Mm -hmm. Star Trek, the original series is very much a project, a, a product of the 1960s. So you had a lot of social commentary in that time where, yes, you had the Captain America-esque white male, Mm -hmm. practically a superhero sitting as the captain. But a lot of people may forget that he had an African-American female over his shoulder who had his ear for three years. Like that was a big deal Mm -hmm. Like for an African for an African-American period. Not to mention an African-American female to be on camera most of the time. Mm -hmm. Then in front of him, he had a a Russian, uh, a Russian uh, comms officer sitting next to a Japanese pilot. This was in a this was in a period like just when did this come out? This was in the this was in the seven. When did this one come out? 70s. It started uh, 1966. Yeah. Oh wow. So you had, you know, just and before- all those castings were there were in that time period. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, and this and you know, 66, like World War II was still very fresh. I mean, it was 20 years removed, but like it was still That's very fresh ago. for a lot of people. Yeah. And that is crazy. Um, and the interesting thing about it, like I said, it was very much a product of the 1960s, but then flash forward to 1987 when Star Trek the Next Generation began, mm-hmm. and, and things are different now. Now yep. we have a counselor. We have, you know, mental health is starting to become more prevalent in people's minds, especially post Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Once that sort of came and went, like the mental health issue really started to, you know, inch closer to the front of mm-hmm. people of people's minds, and that became a bigger issue. Um, yep. You know, we in 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 the Enterprise's journey without, they were also journeying within. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, starting with TNG, that always really took center stage, that idea of like, yes, we're journeying outward, but we are also connecting next, you know, to our, to the people next to us. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of cool. To- because nobody gets there alone. And I think stand up comedy is a lot like that. You know, we talked about, um, you know, do you prefer to start at the beginning of something or get dropped right in? Well, stand up comedy is a little bit of both. When you're at the beginning of your journey, 
you're at the end of someone else's or in the middle or, hey, I started two months ago. So I've got only two months on you, but here's what I've learned so far, you know, Mm -hmm. or you meet guys, you know, I met Adam Schulte after he was five or six years in. Right. And, you know, you met me probably two years, two years after I had started. Now mm-hmm. here you are two years in, two years in, three years almost in. two years. Yeah. Almost two years. And, you know, I'm sure you're seeing new folks pop up every now and then. And yeah, they, they, they come in, they drop off and some people stick around and they're right. all at different points. You're right. Of experience. And that's experience in standup is like the main thing is how much stage time have you, have you acquired and, yes. and how hard are you working really? Exactly. And, you know, the, so the funny thing about enterprise, which, you know, is where the episode we're talking about came from today. The funny thing about enterprise is it came after the fact, but it happens before everything else. So it's, you're getting kind of two ends of the spectrum in one thing. Right. Right. And this episode, while it takes place in the distant future, they travel back to, at the time they travel back to present day which for right. us talking about it today was over a decade ago um yes. in fact coming up on two decades ago yeah uh it's 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 very interesting to uh to get into that but what was it um what was your what were your initial thoughts because was this the first episode of enterprise that you had seen yes so for this to be your introduction to this particular chapter of the franchise what were your initial thoughts when you saw this episode without without getting too spoilery just yet okay well um i i really enjoyed it was a good one for me and i don't know if this is okay to say exactly but the fact that they did go back to present day mm-hmm. 2004 ish was uh it was really cool because that's a time i'm familiar with so i was seeing and i was just i literally downloaded this purchased it off YouTube and saw no other context around it. So for me to see the real world um, with these Fresh characters. And, yeah. Yeah. And then I could kind of see like, okay, I was like working backwards from what I understood. And then I was trying to take notes as to like how they operated, like their technology, like who are these aliens that they're investigating. Oh, and yeah. I enjoyed the overlap of, cause they were unfamiliar with the present day. So uh-huh. the things that they said about, you know, driving a vehicle or, um, they, they like kind of had an idea, but they were fish out of water. And I, that kind of was funny to me because I am, you know, very familiar with that time period, 2004. Um, so I really, I, I thought, uh, I thought that was cool. There were, yeah, there were moments of humor, which I liked. Um, I had to stop and rewind a lot because I, I had to make sure I knew because they would throw out jargon, which is the other thing I'm not familiar with. Oh yeah. So I, I, so this, it was it was in general enough for me to understand, but I have to go back. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's some specific things I have about characters that I really liked, but I, I won't get into that, I guess, just yet. But uh, well, it's it's funny that, uh, you know, I, first of all, let me thank you again, not only for coming on the show, but for allowing me to drop you in sort of clockwork orange style and hold your eyelids open and sort of no it was fine it was it was not torture (laughs) okay good good but you know this can seem kind of daunting for folks to you know sort of drop into the middle of a timeline and this is kind of i mean we're hip deep in season three like you know the first two seasons i feel like were a little more accessible because they were very episodic in nature. Like you could watch one and be done with it and be like, okay, that saw the beginning, middle and end. That's all I need to know. 
but because enterprise was produced i've mentioned this uh, numerous times on the show so far um because enterprise was produced around this time just after 9 11 um it comes between between two different periods of television production history you know leading up to enterprise you had the very episodic nature a lot of a lot of um procedural type things a good example is law and order they're they are structured almost all of them are structured the exact same way like, and you can pluck one out and watch it and not have to watch it before or after yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. but then starting with starting with abc's lost that's the other thing i always write yeah lost. ABC, you like that show I that is a discussion for a different podcast. <laughs> I I like that show a lot. Um, I I liked it until I saw where they were going, and I was like, sure. And, and yeah, I sat there through the whole real thing. wacky. I, yeah, I still watched it all. You have to like make sure that exactly. Like, oh, so anyways, people. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. So anyways, the uh, you know uh, ABC's Lost really brought back the idea of like the water cooler type show, the very serialized uh, form of storytelling. But like because, arcs and stuff. Oh yeah, like you can't just watch one episode of those. You kind of have to keep watching to get what's going on. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Enterprise, this show, those first two seasons are very episodic, but that season 2 finale sets the stage for what happens for the rest of the series, the the last yeah. two seasons. In fact, a lot of what we're dealing with now with the Zindi and um moving forward with the temporal cold war, which they address in this episode as well, the element of time travel. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff maybe got mentioned in the first two seasons, but like starting with season three, they hit the ground running and this yeah. kind of plays a big role in that. Not to, not to mention we've got some great guest stars and I'm super excited to talk with you about it. But before we get to that, let's get to this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Wednesday on an all-new Star Trek Enterprise. They have the virus. Travel in time to the year 2004. The place, Earth, the date. Now. It's a battle to avert a bioweapon strike at the heart of the 21st century. None of this was supposed to happen. Temporal Agent Daniels informs Archer that three reptilians have traveled back in time to Detroit, Michigan, to the year 2004, where they intend to produce a bioweapon to annihilate humans. Sucks! The Zindi Council had banned the use of bioweapons, forcing the reptilians to take extraordinary measures. Great! Daniels sends Archer and T'Pol back in time to investigate and provides Archer with temporal tags, allowing them to bring back anything not belonging in 2004 to their own timeline. How convenient. Using a hand scanner, Archer steals a vehicle, and T'Pol locates the Zindi biosigns, leading them to an abandoned factory on Carpenter Street. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! They notice Loomis, a blood bank employee, exiting the building. Suspecting something, they follow him home. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be 
After he tries to escape, T'Pol uses the Vulcan nerve pinch to stop him. When he awakes, he believes that Archer and T'Pol are police officers and requests a lawyer. Archer punches him, and he admits delivering six bodies to his mysterious employers, each one for a different blood type. Sucks! Archer comes up with a plan and decides to pose as one of the victims. Great! After being delivered by Loomis, Archer realizes that they are developing some sort of bioweapon. Archer begins destroying their technology and kills one of the three reptilians. I felt like destroying something beautiful. Two others try to escape with the deadly bioagent, and Archer kills another one as they flee. The last Zindi escapes due to the interference of Loomis, who T'Pol stuns with her phaser. On the factory's roof, Up on the roof, on the roof. Archer corners him as he attempts to release the bioagent. Archer and T'Pol tag all non-21st century artifacts and return to Enterprise. Loomis, still groggy in his car, is apprehended by real police officers and attempts to explain the lizard people and their ray guns. Beavers and ducks. So we get some really great performances here from uh, some, some really great character actors. And I think there's some fun things to discuss there. But first, let's look at Archer and T'Pol dealing with the, um, the element of time travel. Now, being a fan of pop culture, do you have a favorite time travel movie? Oof. <laughs> There's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. You seen Rookie of the Year? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I would have never thought to have said that. But yes, I do that's, that. That's an absurd one. I, I thought that was a funny movie. When he goes back to the Middle Ages and it's like. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you mean a kid in King Arthur's court? Hold on. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, it might be Rookie of the Year, too. <laughs> wait. <laughs> I think it's the same. It's the same child actor, I think. Yeah. But um, I think a kid in King Arthur's court is where he goes back in time. But rookie of the year is where he slips and breaks his arm and he's able to throw. Yeah. He's able to yeah. throw the ball. Really, I, don't really fast. Even, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's time travel in that one. Is there a rookie of the year too? Oh, there's got to be a rookie of the year too. Maybe there's not. Um, okay. Never mind. It's not coming up on my internet. Uh, <laughs> What other time kid, travel kid in King Arthur's Court. That's a great, that's a great pull. kid in King Arthur's Court. That might have yeah. been the one I was thinking of. <laughs> I think there was one movie, and God, I can't remember the I can't remember the name of the movie. I'm pretty sure that's it. That's it. Is it Kid, kid in King, King Arthur's, Arthur's Court? Court? It's the same kid. So yeah, it seemed to me like a sequel to Rookie of the Year. To be honest, um, let's just go ahead and say it is the sequel. Like this kid just has a crazy, crazy life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 1995. So that was I was like seven years old. That was a definite blockbuster rental for our family. Um, nice, but mm. yeah, I think there's um, there's a movie where some sort of warrior comes back from the future to like the Middle Ages. I want to say it stars Jim Caviezel. Okay, and, and he like he comes back in time and ends up fighting alongside Vikings or something like that. I I'd, I. I'm a terrible, terrible researcher. I should have looked this up. Outlander? I think it's Outlander. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking this up. Yeah. Or wait, frequency? No, frequency is, um, that's where, well, that's kind of time travel. Like he's speaking to, he's speaking in the, in the present day, he's speaking to his dad in the past over an old CB radio 
and he helps his dad solve his dad's own murder. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really cool because the butterfly effect kind of comes into play. Yeah, sure. Um, Outlander, I think, was the one he thought of. For, that's uh, a man from a far off world crash lands on Earth, bringing him an alien predator known as Morwen. During the reign of the Vikings is, I guess, when it takes place. Yeah, yeah. Is that the, yeah. That everybody, um, you know, everybody hears time travel and thinks, of course, Back to the Future. And yeah, I didn't want to say and that. Who can, and who can blame them? <laughs> That's a <Right>. great movie. <laughs> There's one on Netflix that I think debuted very recently called The Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds. That yeah, is time I'm, travel. I'm I just watched about it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I started it today. It's uh, It seems kind of fun. I'm not sure even of the tone of the movie yet because Netflix, it just pops up and I'm not even sure if it's like a comedy or what, but uh, oh, he wow. goes back in time and meets his younger self uh, as like a middle schooler. And oh, then they're trying to, yeah. And it's got Mark Ruffalo, Ryan Reynolds, it's got some Jennifer Gardner. It's got some pretty big name actors in it. So that might nice. be a good one. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I know there was one, I think I, because we've talked about time travel a couple of times on the show so far. But there's one where if you're down for like a super head trippy, full of techno babble, but like very independent type sci-fi time travel movie, there was a movie called mm-hmm. called Primer. And it's about these couple, these two guys who accidentally invent time travel. And they the the dilemma that is posed is if you actually had access to time travel what would you do with it? Right. The first thing that they start to do is they start to play with the stock market because they know, they know how the market ends at the end of every day. Brilliant. I would do that too. So what they end up doing is they end up hanging out in a hotel room, watching the market all day. And at the end of the market day, they travel back to the beginning of the day's trading and make all the appropriate trades and then go home as if, as if that was a normal work day for them. So right. their so their normal twenty four hour day turns into like a thirty six hour day. Mm-hmm. So they do this for a long time, and they of course quit their jobs because they can because they have plenty of money now. Mm-hmm. And so that question comes back of, hey, you have access to time travel. What would you do with it? And one night they're sitting around drinking beers, and one of them goes, "I remember at this party one time, this guy came in and he was acting like a jerk." And I didn't do anything. I'd go back and punch him in the face. Huh? And it's the seed of that idea that ripples throughout the entire movie. Of right. Him trying to make something like that happen. What would you have to do in order to get away with something like that? Mm-hmm. And as they go along, they're realizing that they are, while they are there, there is another version of them that is also there in a different time stream. And it's, it is, it is wild, man. It is, it's what movie is that one again? It's called primer. And I think it came out, I think it came out early to mid two thousands and um, you know, super independent film. It looks like they shot it on an iPhone basically. (laughs) Yeah. But it's super just low tech, but high concept. And yeah, it'll melt your brain if you let it. <laughs> it's it's wild. But here this is this is kind of an interesting portrayal of time travel in that the show is actually kind of bookended by the same scene, because as soon as they travel back in time on the ship, 
they the folks on the ship see them arrive back and they're like i thought you were going back in time they're like we did we were there for like three days <laughs> so the people on the ship thought it was like an instant it it looked yeah. instantaneous which mm-hmm. if you think about the laws of physics and the potential for time travel yeah yeah that tracks <laughs> yeah so Inter- uh, interstellar is kind of the taught some lessons about time travel. Oh yeah. That, that what you just described reminded me of that. Oh, it's relative, the relativity aspect. I tell you what, the, did you see interstellar in theaters? Yes, I believe so. The wife and I saw interstellar at the Smithsonian air and space museum. They actually, really? had, they actually have an IMAX theater there. Uh-huh. While we were in town, this was for our sixth wedding anniversary. We were just like, hey, let's go to DC. And uh, we were there and it's just like, hey, you want to see this awesome space movie? Like while we're at the air and space museum, it's like, yeah. yeah. Sure. And it was it was a trip, man, because you kind mm-hmm. of you, you kind of walk through air and space history and then mm-hmm. sit down for this show, you know, with McConaughey. Like I'd watch McConaughey yeah. do anything, really. Sure. <laughs> And sure. uh, it, man, it was one of, the, I think it's one of my favorite movie going experiences. It was really, mm-hmm. really cool. I, I really cherish that memory. Um, I, you know, it's, it's so funny to think about time travel. I wrote a, you know, a short fiction piece. Uh, this is, we're diverting a little bit here, but like I wrote a, a time travel thing, but uh, a short fiction, a short story uh, that centered around time travel but it was from the perspective of someone who had the ability within themselves. It was kind of a, it was kind of a latent ability that they had to, to travel through time. But the the question that I raise within the narrative is, are they actually traveling through time or do they have Alzheimer's? Interesting. Yeah. Because anybody who's dealt with anybody who has Alzheimer's and dementia will actually get to i mean this is i mean it's a very it's a very sad condition to have and of course the you know it it hurts not just the person but it hurts the family who is essentially losing this person while they are still alive yeah but um yeah for anybody who's dealt with anybody with uh alzheimer's and dementia it is like watching someone travel through time because yeah we had my my mother's mother before she passed away um, living with us, um, you know, in the late stages of her life. And at some, you know, sometimes she was this 80 year old woman who would make amazing rice crispy treats and tell, you know, old stories and stuff like that. Yeah. And then at the, you know, the drop of a hat, she was 16 years old and living on the farm. And I mean, yeah. she, she was that person again. And then she did that right in front of your face like it would just happen in an instant and i was that it was it was i guess i guess it was my coping mechanism to try to like relate it to something else not as sad and i was just like it's kind of like she's traveling through time that's kind of cool that reminds me of a seinfeld episode actually i don't know if you're familiar with this one yeah jerry's nana is slipping a little bit and not to make light of alzheimer's or anything but it's the same idea uh where um uh, she tells Jerry and Uncle Leo, she thinks it's like the 40 years ago or something. And uh-huh. she said, yeah, your father won money at the track and he was supposed to give Jerry's dad 50 and Uncle Leo 50. And Leo never gave him the money. So then 
Nana, so Jerry's like, Nana doesn't know what year it is. And then he tells his dad and his dad's like, if we had put that money in the stock market, it would be like this. And they like obsess over it. And they like think Leo cheated him out of money because oh, Nana funny. thinks it just happened and not that it was 40 years ago or whatever it is. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that was a really I mean, funny episode. Yeah, that's interesting. No, it's it's so it's so wild to think of those type of scenarios of you know i mean and to play them out in your head of what if like what if mm-hmm. you could? i mean here we are in 2022 what if we could go back to 2004 you know and i mean we're it's it's kind of interesting to it's it wasn't that long ago and it was so funny that there was a meme floating around for a while of when someone says 20 years star trek 20 years ago this is what you think and it shows a picture of patrick stewart and the cast of Uh the next generation um and then the second part of the meme is this is star trek 20 years ago and it shows enterprise right Um, scott bacula and that whole crew and it's so Mm -hmm. funny how your mind it's so funny how your mind plays tricks on you which to me and this was kind of part of what i was going for with that short fiction piece that i wrote this was kind of what i was going for with that was like is time travel in your own mind a still a form of time travel like for for example when you fall asleep and then wake up and then you realize oh my god i'm late like you don't necessarily realize that you fell asleep Mm -hmm. so is that a form of time travel like Mm -hmm. so is the main the main construct that is necessary for time travel, is it consciousness? And then if it is consciousness, is that tied to your physical being or is that tied to your, to your personality or to your soul? Yeah. Is, is time travel a thing that deals with physics or with metaphysics? Yes. Um, Yeah. I I trip yourself out thinking about this stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know about, I don't know about you. I'm sober. (laughs) Yeah, I know you just came yeah. from a comedy show. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't drink at all ever. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sober. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, time travel is trippy, and just the construct of reality. I feel like, especially over the last two years with the pandemic, everything yeah. to me that was given as like this is how the world works was kind of shattered. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every nothing's normal is not even what does normal mean anymore? I, I don't even know. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, it's not exactly time travel, but, uh, now, I mean, like nothing would shock me on the news today. Nothing <laughs> aliens coming would not surprise me at this point. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We're about to, yeah. That, that which, which, it was just a scary thing. Yeah. You know, if our perceptions of reality can't be trusted as much as they used to, but it's also a very exciting time when it comes to like art or uh, breaking new ground and, and letting old meaning structures fall away in the place of new ones. So I don't oh, even yeah. know if I'm talking about time travel. This is just stuff I think about. Like, no, this is this is all perfect stuff, man. Like we, we we've discussed on the show the idea of the transporter, you know, in Star Trek, we've discussed whether or not that transporter actually kills you. And just a transporter pad somewhere else. Just the transporter is what beams you places, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. If that just kills you in one place and builds you another body somewhere else, yeah. Just, all you're doing is transferring your chemical and electrical synapses. <laughs> yeah, that if that's what movie, it is, like <laughs> the Prestige. You've seen the Prestige, I Christian love Bale. The prestige, yes. Where there's like a bunch of them that they're spoiler alert, I guess. But oh, a bunch yeah. of the guys that they're killing and transporting. <laughs> The man in the box. 
so that in theory could be what's going on with the beamer uh, and uh, that's, a, that's uh, the a transporter theory. that's a theory okay. <laughs> yeah it's wild to think about um but yeah this is this is a really fascinating episode and then so what you're seeing with archer here is you're seeing someone and i don't know that you kind of got the hint of this but i think when archer and to paul are kind of playing good cop bad cop which was actually kind of funny um when they are doing that what you're seeing scott bacula as captain archer doing is you are seeing a man who is rapidly approaching the end of his rope he is so desperate to stop the zindi because uh, like we saw at the end of season two the zindi showed up at earth and just hit it with a laser beam and killed millions of people and we turn we we find out that was just a test of one of their weapons and so they've gotten word through the temporal cold war that this radical crazy species known as humans will eventually show up and wipe them out so they decided to take the initiative and show up at their planet first Earth, with the bioweapon with the weapon and now they're working on more weapons they're working on you know you know lasers that can you know cut through the planet's core and and bioweapons to just hit us with a hit us with a bioweapon that just wipes us all out which in the age of covid like yeah virus yeah yeah, yeah we're kind of living through that now <laughs> mm-hmm. but um we're seeing we're seeing what and i think if you watch the news for 30 seconds you will actually see this what desperation does to a person in yeah. that and i mean you know coming both of us coming from stand-up comedy desperation can lead to some really funny things but sure. for those who don't have an outlet desperation is a dangerous dangerous place to be that's a dangerous mm-hmm. state to be in because you think about an, a wild animal backed into a corner they're yeah. very likely to attack you mm-hmm. um have you have you had because i've heard a little bit of your story in kind of how you started stand-up and your life before stand-up and where you were at in terms of your mental state and I, do you mind sharing a little no, bit of this and talking about that state because when i heard you talk about it before on your podcast i do listen to your podcast eventually or uh, <laughs> occasionally i should say episode uh, 29 is todd a davis's episode by the way if anybody listening <laughs> wants to hear todd's we broke the record. It's almost three hours. <laughs> so I talked so, for a long time. <laughs> shameless plug. No, we talked. It was great, man. It was yeah, great. It's, it, it was a very fun conversation. I can't wait to come back on. You, I'm sure you've got, I'm sure you're booked for months, but no, if no. You find, if you do find a gap, I'd love to come back on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the state that you were in prior to stand up and where, what the things that you were dealing with in your personal life with your own mental health and what sounds like to me the, uh, as a listener of your show what sounds like to me a state of desperation do you mind speaking about oh that totally bit? totally i'm an open book when it comes to this stuff i was uh, in a bad place mentally uh um and i i don't want to do the whole long thing but um, yeah you can keep it short I- if you want I was very unhappy, uh, probably from the time or just chaotic and then very unhappy from the time Mm -hmm. I graduated college to the time I basically started stand up. And what I thought it was, this is like self-medicating therapy, but 
I chose a career path that I thought other people would admire. And I chose it for those reasons. Um, I wanted to have a really cool job that, that made good money and that did all this. And I was approval seeking at every turn, Mm -hmm. um, which was okay because I was actually, I, I was smart and capable and I worked really hard. So it got me to a place where, uh, I had thought I wanted to go, but, um, I, I didn't know that deep down I was a creative person. And I think that's kind of the core of it. And if you're a creative person and anybody's listening and like, just feeling like something's off, like maybe you have a relationship, friendships and you're, you're, you're everything else on paper makes sense, but you're still deeply miserable. You need to find a creative outlet. Um, because when you're creative, you're kind of being honest and expressing yourself in a really authentic, vulnerable way. And I was too scared to do that. Yeah. Cause I had just approval seeks my whole life. So what that amounted to, I was in a sales job in Atlanta, very high stress sales job. And anytime I wasn't selling during the day and stress out of my mind, I was drinking and partying. Um, so it was this horrible, vicious cycle and I'm still a fun person. And, you know, and I, but I like to party and that was really getting unhealthy to where I was like, I felt like my car was running out of oil or something. And, uh, mm. And then um, I, I didn't know what to do to make sense of my life. I was, I was 30, um, 31. And then I moved to Greenville because Atlanta was not good for me. My territory got realigned. And I thought, okay, I should go home and get married to Michigan, which was my home state. Uh, so I interviewed for a job in marketing. They did not like me. I, I botched, I bombed the interview essentially. Really? I don't, I don't know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was too much of an outdoor cat. I think I was like, I'm in sales, field sales, never around corporate culture. I don't think they thought I was a good marketing fit. Right. So right. I thought, I thought my reputation at the company after interviewing for that job was horrible, which was all that ever mattered to me. I, I thought, okay, they think I'm a dumbass. Um, I'm not going to get another promotion. I'm here in Greenville. I'm on this endless cycle of sales. What's going to happen to me? And then uh, March happened and then COVID hit. And, uh, Oof. I was like, well, at least I don't have to think about quota as much because hospitals were shut down. I do medical stuff. So what I sell, they weren't buying. So, uh, so yeah, that plump, that, that kind of gave me a little reprieve. And then, uh, they asked me to do this video marketing video, a funny video of work from home. And I made this short minute long video and they shared it with the sales team and everybody loved it. And, uh, that was the first time I felt a light come on again of creativity, writing comedically. Um, and that, and then. I got back surgery after that. I threw my back out. It's another thing where oh, I felt like I was hitting bottom really hard. And then I had one last drunken day with some random strangers in downtown Greenville that I didn't meet, that I didn't know beforehand. And I put myself in a really bad situation. So I stopped drinking, got the back surgery, recovered for about a month, and then got on stage a few weeks after that. Wow. So it was like I hit bottom really hard in terms of my mental state, everything else. And I was kind of at a point where I didn't care what people thought anymore. And it, mm. for me, because I cared so much, it need, I needed to hit that bottom. And uh, so, yeah, my mental state was kind of at an all-time low. But then it was like a really quick turnaround because with stand-up, you had a great community of friends like you, like Adam, like all the people we know and talk about. Um, and I was finally like learning to let go of that, uh, caring what other people think and, and all that stuff. So uh, my mental state before and after was really radically different. Like wow. I was way all over the place. Now I feel a lot more confident in just anything like my communication and um, letting go of even what family thinks sometimes, oh, you yeah. know, family's judgmental about stuff. Like I've wrestled with that yeah. and, and different aspects of your upbringing. Like, so stand up brings that out of you. If you can, I'd recommend anybody try it if they've ever thought about it, because it really purges like you're naked in front of an audience 
not literally, but you, they see you. Yeah. For who you are. Yeah. Flaws and all. And uh, you try to find a way to connect. So anyway, sorry, this is a long answer. No, but, uh, no, but that's yeah, fine. I appreciate the question. I, um, I, I found that um, I found, yeah. And I've someone someone else was talking to me. They were interested in trying stand up and everything. And I, I was honest with them about it. And because they were talking about, well, first of all, there's a difference between someone trying between someone getting up once and then really trying to make a go of it with stand-up comedy. I was like, look, mm-hmm. it is an exercise in repeated frustration and disappointment and rejection. A lot of times I said, look, for most stand-up comedians, um, it, it for stand-up comedy, it actually takes a special kind of damage to get up, yes. to get up repeatedly and spill your guts for strangers like yep to seek approval to seek approval from strangers in a bar like yeah that, that takes a special kind of damage not only sure. to do it not only to do it once but then to, at the end of what may or may not be a great night go see you next week like i'll be sure. back <laughs> what, what i love about that approval thing too because i i sought approval my whole life what i found with stand-up is you only get the approval when the authentic you starts to come out Yes, And it's like, it's intuitive. So it is arrogant and attention seeking, but also it won't work. You can't really fake it. I think Rory Scovel yeah. said that you can't fake it. So you got to be brave enough to show yourself. And then when that happens, like the audience just knows, like you're yeah. real. You're actually, you know, you're here, you're talking to us. You're not worried that we're going to laugh. You, right. You're trusting whatever you're saying. And, uh, and that you, I'm not saying you have to be dramatic or like really serious about it, but like, uh, it could be a silly nonsensical joke, but you're, your vibe they can pick up on. Yeah, so absolutely. And it, it's, I, I'll take that a step further in that you definitely have to have 100%. Now, what kind of ratio of personality to prepared material gets you to 100%? You know, yep. guys like Rory who come from an improv background have, they've got some bits in their pocket. You know, we know uh, Craig Holcomb here yep. locally. Who, improv. He's an improv guy mm-hmm. um, versus myself who started as a writer. Like, yeah, it's, it's rare that I'll break from my very, very planned out set, yep. um, you know, but again, there's, it's an art form. So you can yeah. absolutely do it anyway, but yeah, it, you know, I think it does take a very, um, you know, people who are desperate. De- I mean, the old saying desperate times called for desperate measures. Yeah. I saw in the pandemic that a lot of people, I just don't know what to do. Hey, there's a comedy open mic. I'll go try it. Why not? It's where yeah. a lot of folks hit the ground during the pandemic when those first few mics started to open back up. And, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, what Archer's doing here in those first two seasons, he is very much a diplomat. He's so proud to be on the bridge of his, of, of, of his ship the engine of which was built by his father. Like it is very, it is. So he's very very put together. He's like holding up this image of the captain that he really, okay. But the thing is, it's desperate when he, when he, when he first gets sent out there, Starfleet, Starfleet is next to non-existent. There isn't like a handbook for any of this stuff. They're like, all right, here's your ship. Here's your crew. Don't die. Go have fun. And as things go along, is how they're learning. Okay. This is probably how we should do diplomatic relations and not this, like we're Mm -hmm. learning about this 
uh, species that doesn't really like us. We could probably avoid them. Like they're yeah. lear- they're learning all this on the fly, much like you do with stand up. Like you get yep. up there and try it, and oh, that didn't work. We probably won't do that again. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but yeah, this is this is really interesting in that to Paul, who goes with him, is very logical, and yes. she's a Vulcan. Their their whole species is their culture is based around logic. Whereas she's been dealing with these impulsive, emotional humans for the last two to three years. And now she's kind of having to rein him in of like, hey, we shouldn't kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this guy that we're talking about um, is one of, one of a couple of great character actors who make appearances in this, in this episode. Um, so let's go ahead and jump to uh, our section that we uh, have lovingly titled, Who Do We Blame? Uh, this episode was written by Berman and Braga. They've been, you know, helming this thing from the beginning. But this is uh, an episode that was written by those guys. Last episode that they wrote together was season three, episode one, The Zindi, which kind of was at the beginning of this whole uh, season three to season four arc. Um, this episode was directed by Mike Vahar, whose last episode was season three, episode four, Regine. That's the episode that uh, Archer's kindness is taken advantage of by a young woman who is gathering. She's a spy. She's gathering information for the Zindi. Um, so he thinks he's rescue, rescuing a, a damsel in distress. Turns out she's not so much in distress. She's undercover. Um and then for our guest stars, uh, once again, we got uh, Mr. Matt Winston reappearing here again as Temporal Agent Daniels. Matt Winston, for those who may have forgotten, the son of legendary uh, special effects designer, prosthetics uh, creator, Stan Winston. Uh, if you still don't know who I'm talking about, watch a Predator movie and <laughs> he's responsible for the Predator <laughs> That, and in addition to a whole slew of other sci-fi uh, prosthetic uh, marvels over the last, oh, I don't know, 40 years. <laughs> a crazy amount of stuff. But uh, yes, Matt Winston turning in another great performance as Temporal Agent Daniels. And then we've got Leland Orser as Loomis. Now, uh, you might think, oh, Leland Orser, he's kind of, he's a character actor and we've, we've, really sung the praises of a lot of character actors as we've worked our way through Star Trek Enterprise. And we will continue to do so because the franchise is chock full of amazing character actors. Uh, But Leland Orser started his career guest starring on roles from 91 to 93 and everything from Golden Girls to Erie, Indiana and Cheers before getting his first appearance in the franchise with an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It was season two, episode 10, Sanctuary. That was from 1993, where he played the role of Guy. And then this is the big one, folks. Mr. Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the Zindi Reptilian. Uh, If for some reason you don't know the name Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, he's been in so many things that we've all really, really enjoyed. Uh, he was the man. He, he is the man with all the nerd creds. Uh, uh, but before he had all the nerd creds, he uh, did an episode of Sliders back in the day. That was season two, episode five uh, from 1996. The episode El Cid. He played the role of Sid uh, with future Star Trek alum, Mr. Jerry O'Connell, uh, who is married to 
current uh, Star Trek alum, uh, Rebecca Romaine, who is playing number one on the new uh, Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. Uh, he also did 11 episodes of The Burning Zone as Dr. Edward Marquez. And then he had some uh, some one-offs on Walker, Texas Ranger, and Angel. And this is his only franchise appearance. Um, so getting into this a little bit, I was curious as to why he had all these nerd creds, of course, later in his career after Enterprise, but he only appeared in the franchise once. And apparently this episode of Star Trek that he was on fairly early in his career, uh, he hated 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 this episode uh and his experience on the set uh he would uh later explain in a 2012 interview with entertainment weekly i had to pay my bills i knew i'd play some guy saying some stuff and then i got a call saying i need to go to the to go in for a prosthetic fitting and i remember them dripping goop on my face i had straws (laughs) sticking out of my nose i couldn't eat lunch i was claustrophobic i'd go home in tears and this was the job that made me want to quit acting. And <laughs> if he had quit acting, we wouldn't have gotten his performance uh, as the comedian in Watchmen in 2009, uh, his performances in uh, DC Comics, The Losers and Jonah Hex. Uh, both of those were in 2010. His appearance in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice as Thomas Wayne. Uh, he had numerous appearances in Supernatural and, of course, as the baseball bat-wielding batty Negan in AMC's The Walking Dead for 95 episodes so far. Um, so, uh, JDM, I'm so sorry that happened to you. <laughs> I know you probably don't want to talk about it, but we absolutely love you here on the show. And if you would like to come talk about an episode of star trek we'd love to have you (laughs) i don't see that happening anytime soon but we love you nonetheless um so filming began on october 10th in 2003 and continued on the following monday where filming was shared with the production of both the episodes twilight and similitude which we've already covered here on the show and on october 13th the the location filming began for carpenter street on location downtown l.a During the following week, the production was moved back to the Paramount lot where the standing New York Street backlot was used. And this this area included uh, the use of one area that was actually where they shot a scene from Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, which had been shot back in 1972. Uh, The episode was finished filming on October 23rd, including an overlap with the production of Chosen Realm, Uh, which we will be discussing uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, We're really looking forward to that because uh, we'll be discussing that religious-heavy episode with the author of The Gospel According to Star Trek, Mr. Kevin C. Neese. He has agreed to come on and discuss that with us. Um, This episode uh, took a bit of a slump in the ratings uh, attributed to the date of the broadcast, which, you know, it's so hard to get an episode of anything made, you know, an episode, a movie, the fact that any of it sees the light of day is next to a miracle, but anything could make it crash and burn. And in this case, it was because this episode aired the night before Thanksgiving, which is typically a day many people travel. So nobody was home. 
Um, in her review for the website Trek Nation, Michelle Erica Green said that the episode was entertaining, but an ultimately pointless time travel episode that redeems its existence primarily by not requiring a reset button. And she thought that Orser was superb. And of course, we've spoke, uh, we spoke about um, uh, Leland Orser, you know, playing Loomis and he's, he's a phenomenal actor. So of course he was really, really good. Uh, but that the episode was entertaining fluff. It was just warm and witty, but well done. Jamal Epsicon criticized on Jammer's reviews that uh, the lack of explanation given to the Zindi's involvement in the temporal cold war uh, and said that the plot itself was akin to Swiss cheese because of all the plot holes that were in it. Uh, and he gave the episode a score of 1.5 out of four. That's pretty harsh. Uh, Herc from Ain't It Cool News gave the episode a 2.5 out of five said fans would likely react to the episode with a collective shrug and expressed his disappointment that nothing of consequence is changed, learned, or advanced. And in 2021, Digital Fix noted this for being dark and gritty and having some fun ideas. That's one thing I've seen uh, with Enterprise is that a lot of these episodes hit differently now, 20 years after the fact. Um And I think that can be said for a lot of the Star Trek stuff, you know, in the 1960s, it was sort of this fun, campy sci-fi adventure that had this really diverse cast. And that that was pretty much the end of the story. But it was, you know, once it got to the 70s and into the 80s, it was kind of like, hey, this was really ahead of its time. And they were talking about a lot of really important things like race and government and religion and and, uh, social things and uh, you know, some heavy, heavy topics. Yeah, there was some cheap rubber costumes and some of the sets were made of cardboard or whatever, but like the writing was so solid and they really had something to say. And, you know, um, you know, the debate about how that carried over into later iterations of Trek is obviously up for debate. But, uh, you know, looking back at Star Trek Enterprise for all the problems that it had, those episodes hit differently today. You know, when we talk about, the treatment of T'Pol and how that was, you know, indicative of the time and, you know, how that reflected the treatment of women and the treatment of minorities and things like that. Again, this show premiered less than two weeks after 9-11. American, America, Americans and American culture were in a very volatile place at this time. And Star Trek held a mirror up to all of it. And maybe we didn't see the reflection for 20 years, but watching Enterprise now, some of these things hit a little bit differently. And David, I hope you, um, I hope this did spark at least a little bit of interest that you maybe explore the episodes that came before and the episodes that come after this. Did you, did you enjoy this trek into enterprise yeah, absolutely absolutely i thought some of the uh, critic comments uh as a negative i actually appreciated um nothing was nothing of consequence has changed learned or advanced that might have been getting at what you mentioned earlier about how it was shifting from like this this era of tv where it was episodic to like a, a story arc that was more linear and you had to watch all of them like it, it has both yeah. i appreciated that i didn't have to know everything before or after star trek this this episode to enjoy it um so i i appreciated that i really liked loomis uh yeah and i i actually the, the first character i thought of that he also played was in saving private ryan when he yep. do, do you remember his part in that 
Uh, yeah, just he, briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was talking about landing a plane and and talking to Tom Hanks and, and everything. Very small character. But uh, but yeah, he's a great character actor. I love to see him in that. And uh, I always I always remember him from seven. Seven. OK, I don't yeah. remember his part in seven. He is the guy. Um, he is the guy who's part of the, you know, have you seen seven? Yes, I okay. have. it's been a while. Yeah. He is the guy who they find at the sex club who mm-hmm. ended up having sex with the prostitute with the attachment on himself that had okay. a blade on the end. And his, oh, geez. that scene was the um, of the seven deadly sins that they are that are the theme of that killer's, you know, uh, rampage throughout Los Angeles. Um, that particular scene is the lust. Yeah. Scene. And mm-hmm. they they end up having uh, Leland Orser's character in an interrogation room and him trying to give his statement of having a gun in his mouth with while wearing this attachment and engaging in sex with a prostitute which resulted in her very gruesome murder Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but an amazing performance if you can look past the horrific things it it, it entails (laughs) yeah but yeah, yeah, he's I, awesome. I liked him. I liked him in this. He was, seemed like a single guy in an apartment. Like in the, in the beginning, he's eating pizza over the bathroom sink. Yep. Which I kind of related to. I'm single. <laughs> I eat takeout all the time. Pizza. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of a guy, believably, who would do the bidding of this dark figure that's asking him to collect bodies. Sure. Blood types. It's like, yeah, this guy is he's kind of desperate in his own way. You know, yeah. he's just, just looking for cash. He doesn't really have a moral compass. And uh uh yeah i like I he like could very character. easily be a stand-up comedian <laughs> oh yeah definitely absolutely he could be a stand-up comedian but no i love the episode seriously it was uh i didn't know what to expect uh at all um and like i said you could just watch this one out of sequence and, and still enjoy it so yeah i think i think you know in talking about we've been asking here more recently we've been asking the question is this essential viewing and one of the things that i've been analyzing with every episode and that question is is this essential viewing for the overall narrative of the story versus is this essential viewing for someone who is watching star trek for the first time and while you aren't seeing star trek for the very first time this is a new trek that you've been introduced to and i'm glad that you had such a positive reaction to it because it's it's kind of a crapshoot really of whether or not, um, you know, it entices you to continue on with the series. So I'm glad, I'm glad mm-hmm. you had a good experience with it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any, great. any final thoughts about this episode or um, Star Trek as a whole or your experience on this podcast or anything at all? <laughs> I will. First of all, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, I, I really, uh enjoyed it it piqued my interest in uh, exploring it more um and uh yeah i mean something like this it's like you're just scratching the surface and you realize how much there is that i don't know which has a just being a curious person like uh yeah i think i'll definitely be you know paying more close attention and, and watching more um and uh yeah I think we touched on everything in this episode. I mean, I thought the virus outbreak like that definitely reminded me of COVID. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, the lizard people. 
I just had the thought that that's interesting that that's that's a common uh, symbol of a of like something an alien like a reptilian yeah a snake, some sort of reptile serpent. Green, it's this archetypal silly. symbol yeah. yeah of like chaos and the unknown and that somehow all audience members whether you brand new to Star Trek or wherever you find it in literature movies like you know that's the bad guy that's the unknown that's the threat I thought it was cool they added that symbolism. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I, d- I didn't have a lot more notes. You covered it exhaustively. That was great. Um, you talked and, uh, for a long time, Todd. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I appreciated the the depth that you took for it. Uh, so, well, that's great, yeah. man. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, folks, this episode of Star Trek Enterprise premiered on November 26, 2003. But next week, we will be discussing something very special that premiered just less than two weeks later on this or uh yeah less than two weeks later on december 8th and 9th in 2003 my good friend actor comedian and fellow bob jones survivor christina rose yassi will be here to discuss another star trek adjacent property one that premiered like i said on december 8th and 9th 2003 one single trek across the galaxy to save the species and survive the cylons We will be watching the two-part premiere of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, because Christina doesn't like Star Trek for some reason, which is available, (laughs) which is available on Peacock. So, uh, David, where can people uh, see you perform and uh, and hear your podcast? Where can where can they reach you? Great. Um, Instagram first, uh, assuming you're active on Instagram, that's where I put a lot of uh, notifications about the podcast episode. So it's David Baker seven on Instagram. Um, And uh, there's a new podcast episode every Monday. So I'll I'll have a notification that the episode is out. um, And then it'll be available video on YouTube. It's also available on all streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple, all of them. Um, And it's, I did this instead of killing myself, all one word. If you want to search that way, Um, it's hard to search engine optimized because the suicide hotline will come up. So, you know, but, (laughs) but yeah, so, uh, and I I put on my Instagram stories where I'm going to be performing with uh, stand up. I'll open mics basically every night of the week, coffee underground uh, radio room on Wednesdays and comedy zone on Thursdays. Um, and uh, we're, we're not stopping. So if you miss the show, we'll be there the next night. So, uh, and then, you know, book shows more. Um, and then there's one other thing I was going to say. Yeah. So I'm actually, I have like an extra slash bit part on a TV show on Tubi. It's called complicated. The series. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just came out last week. So it's, it's a local Greenville production put on by Johnny Sizemore. And I was an extra queen. Momo was an extra as well, oh, but um, I actually got put at the table and have a couple of short lines of dialogue. And th- so uh, I just found that today. So complicated the series on Tubi and uh, yeah, the podcast, if you, and also the YouTube channel specifically, if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, that would mean the world because that's where I we've. I mean, I think we're gonna put up a lot more content. There's already weekly content, but um, I really like YouTube. I think it's an exciting platform. So, uh, David Baker, sixteen on YouTube, and so. I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in Ted Forward.
always support us on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at computerresume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?